Welcome to the Seller Roundtable e-commerce coaching and business strategies with Andy Arnott and Amy Wees. So that's so cool. You, you basically looked at what are we doing in the modern world that could solve the problems of not, you know, knowing what's going on at these inspections, not going, knowing what's going on at the factory. And you thought, all right, how can I fill in some of these gaps. And so you created a different type of inspection company, a different type of quality control process, a different type of teams. You applied uh, modern teams to uh, to your system, which I think is is so cool and modern technology. Um, so I, that's it's really, really cool how you got into it and how you decided to not just start any old inspection company, but take what you knew um, of modernization and what e-commerce needs and demands and make the inspection company that is going to be the solution for for e-commerce sellers so let's speaking of inspection companies can we talk about the different types of inspection companies because there's so like people don't know you know they don't know a lot of people will just have their supplier their supplier will offer to inspect for them or they'll have their sourcing agent inspect for them. They will have, um, there's like, you can order like a, a, like a $100 inspection or something like that on Alibaba, but that's not really, I guess that's what we call cut rate inspection companies. And it's not really an in-depth inspection. And then there's the, the larger, um, more well-known quality assurance and inspection companies um, that are, are more like yours, but yours is just um, kind of, putting an e-commerce spin in a more modern twist to that. So let's talk about the different types of inspection companies and where people might be offered inspections along their journey. Yeah, that's a really good question. So supplier inspections, first and foremost, uh, your supplier should be doing inspections during the production process and after the production process themselves. Uh, that's part of their production process. And uh, that shouldn't be... Um, anything that takes away from that. So when you hire an inspection company, like a third party to go do your own quality control testing, uh, you're essentially leveraging a third party to check the products. So the point of that is that your factory has a different set of standards. And in addition to that, it's almost like a little bit of game theory. So your factory has an incentive to give you the lowest quality products at the highest price that you will agree to buy. you have an incentive to get the highest quality products at the lowest price um, that you'll you know, want to buy. So it's literally a direct, um, you know, they're directly against each other as far as kind of what your intentions are. So what a third party does is a third party works for you and they go inspect your products on your behalf and up to your standards. Uh, your factory is going to inspect their products up to their standards. Now, if your factory uh, produces products, it is up to their standards. So if they do an inspection, it's almost always going to pass uh, because it's you know within their standards. Uh, so that's what happens between like a, a first party inspection, or I wouldn't say first party, more like a supplier inspection and a third party. So third party inspections are done by pretty much any major brand. Uh, so if you're a Fortune 500, you're a Fortune 100, you're doing a third party inspection on every single order, at least at the pre-shipment stage, um, or you have an in-house team that does that inspection for you. It's a standard industry process. 
uh, regardless of whether you're Apple, you're, you know, LG or GE or, you know, an e-com brand that, you know, is starting up. Uh, when it comes down to third-party inspections, there are different kinds of third-party inspection companies. Uh, you have your cut rate ones, uh, you know, as you mentioned, Amy, those are like $100 a day. Uh, you have your you know, more expensive ones that can be up to like $400, $500 a day. And um, then Mavli, for example, we fall in about 302. And uh, I'll explain why we're able to do that. But uh, when it comes down to cut rate inspection companies in general, uh, what cut rate companies do is they essentially put very high quotas on their inspectors. Uh, so just, just to give you a little bit of an idea of labor costs in China, a lot of people have this misconception that, you know, inspectors in China earn 3 to $5 an hour. And uh, that's really not the case. A good inspector in China will earn between 13 to $19 an hour uh, after taxes, benefits, um, you know, their hourly wage, everything is considered. And uh, that's for a good inspector who speaks English and um, doesn't really speak English, but can understand it decently enough to do a good inspection and uh, also, um, you know, be able to read and write uh, English as well. Uh, so that's, that's what a normal inspector costs uh, for a well-trained inspector. What cut rate companies do is they either do one of two things. So they, first of all, hire cheaper inspectors that are not trained properly. They don't invest in training. They don't invest in processes. They don't invest in um, the actual inspection inspectors themselves. Um, and then they send them off to the factory for the day and they pay them you know, under the wage. Uh, or number two, they end up hiring semi-decently qualified inspectors that have some level of training. But what ends up happening is those um, inspection providers excuse me, uh, those inspection providers, essentially, uh, th those inspectors end up going to the factory and they supplement their wage with bribes, fraud, things like that. Uh, so it's kind of like a mindset. Um, it's very common also in like Russia and in India, a lot of other countries there, uh, which is back basically, you know, hey, if you're underpaying me, I'll make up my money, you know, somewhere else. Right. And yeah, you know, in any industry that's going to happen, because you're going to exactly. have fraud and bribery and stuff like that. And I know for me, I, I know some people might go, well, you know, I'm just, I, I need to save the money. I trust my supplier. Um, I'm going to skip out and I'm just going to do like the, the cut rate hundred dollar thing. But, you know, if you lose it's for me, I would rather pay a hundred dollars extra and trust, be able to trust the results of my inspection and know that that thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars that I put in for that test order of inventory, know that that's going to be able to be profitable. Whereas, you know, even if it's a small order and let's say you only spent a thousand dollars on a hundred units or something like that, right? Uh, even if it's a small order, if you lose that entire investment over a hundred dollars that you could have invested, like to me, that doesn't make any sense. Like I would rather no. And the other cool thing that you learn when you do a proper inspection or have a third party inspection company uh, inspect for you is you learn that um, you learn a little bit more about your factory. Right. I mean, I do recommend people do factory audits because, you know, it's just you can you learn so much. But besides your factory audit, you know, when you're dealing with that supplier over time, you aren't going to catch just because your supplier passed inspection that first time with those products that they could have complete personnel turnover 
in the time between this order and the next order, you never know what's going on at that factory. So if you don't have the ability to visit yourself or inspect yourself, you need a third party that's going to represent you. Otherwise you could be out all that money. And in most cases, like people will say, well, Amy, I did Alibaba trade assurance, right? I did Alibaba trade assurance, so I'm okay. And I know Sajag's laughing right now because he knows, he knows he's been down this road. The thing is, Alibaba trade assurance, they require you to actually show proof that you've been wronged in some way. And if you have a past inspection, they're not going to. So let's say you did this cut rate inspection, you know, you paid $100 or you paid $50 or you had your sourcing agent do it for you or whatever, and you didn't have an independent third party inspection and it was passed. And now these products are to you and or they're to Amazon and they're going to your customer and customers returning them. They're horrible quality. And you're going, what the heck supplier? What are you doing? Right. And you go back to Alibaba trade assurance and you say, this supplier, they wronged me. They, they gave me these terrible products. Alibaba's trade assurance is going to look at your case and is going to go, Hmm, you passed the inspection or you didn't do an inspection at all. You basically have no proof that when this product left the supplier that it was in bad shape. And so in most cases, you can't win the argument. And so you're out the money anyway. And a lot of people think of Alibaba trade assurance as uh, protection. And it's, it's not going to provide protection if you had no contracts or nothing in writing and you don't have a, a failed inspection or any inspection with photos to show that those products were bad when they left the factory. Yeah. And, and just to add on to that, a uh, couple of points real quick. Uh, so when it comes to trade assurance specifically, you know, there has to be some source of accountability. And the problem with trade assurance is that, you know, a lot of people compare it to like PayPal buyer protection, or for yeah. example, you go return something on Amazon. Uh, you're not buying one product. <laughs> you're buying a mass manufactured product that is being physically produced to your standards. Uh, so what happens a lot of times in Alibaba trade assurance cases, and uh, you can just look online, Alibaba trade assurance on Facebook groups, you'll find like hundreds of keys cases. So Legal, legal liability disclaimer, this is what I've heard. I'm not saying this is what, it, what happens, but um, from what I've heard from other people is um, that a lot of times Alibaba requires their own inspection company to go even do an inspection for a trade assurance claim. And what ends up happening is Alibaba's trade assurance, um, their inspection services are actually inherently built to pass all your products uh, because they don't properly function test your products. If you go on Alibaba's website for inspection services, they put big brand names, SGS, Bureau Vista, all these big inspection companies. But when you go into the actual specifications of what they tell these inspection companies, as far as their deal with Alibaba to do Alibaba's inspections, they only do one, two, three functionality tests per entire batches. So if you have a, you know, 950 lamps uh, that are defective out of a thousand and you happen to choose one good one, <laughs> your entire order is a pass. And uh, that's really what ends up happening. And when it, when it comes down to trade assurance and buyer protection, all these different things, they're not built for large volume purchases, uh, you know, up to like your standards. So you want to have those standards properly communicated in advance and you want to know how to test for those standards. A lot of times what happens is those contracts are too vague, so they're not enforceable. And uh, essentially once the money has been transacted, you know, it's um, they have this saying in bankruptcy law in America, and it's very true for international trade too. Uh, possession is nine tenths of the law. So whoever has the money at the end of the day is the one who wins 90% of the time. And once you've spent the money and you've lost your leverage because you spent it all on trade assurance, you know, you don't have that leverage anymore. 
so having that accountability is really, really important. And, um, you know, when you get that one bad order, we actually did a calculation, you know, you spend uh, $3,000 on the order after you get returns, warranty claims, or other problems, you end up paying for your inspections for seven years, it ends up costing you about um, almost nine, 10 K at the end of the day. Yeah, it's, it's insane. So let's move into um, preparing for an inspection. And I know that you guys have a really cool thing on your website where they can go visit mobley.com. And if they're not ready for an inspection, you have a preparation guide that they can download that helps them understand how they should prepare. So that's something for you guys if you aren't sure. But when we're preparing for an inspection, um, how do I know what should be inspected? Because I'm wanting to communicate that with my inspection company, right? So how do I know if it's a new product for me, how should I figure out what should I ask the inspection company to inspect? Yeah, that's a really good question. So a couple of different points there. So first of all, uh, look at competitors. So that's the easiest place to start. Look at competitors and look at what product reviews they have. And a lot of people make the mistake, they look at bad product reviews only. And uh, that's not true. You want to look at good product reviews and you also want to look at bad product reviews and you want to have tests and systems in place to test for the good and also test for the bad. Because when something good goes bad, if you don't have a proper testing you know, spec in place, then no one's going to find that. So it's very important to look for the good and for the bad. Look at customer reviews, look at customer complaints, uh, look at competitors. That's a great place to start. Uh, a second way, which is actually one of my personal favorites, is actually working with all of your suppliers uh, to kind of figure out what the quality control mechanisms are. Uh, so in that Help Me Prepare guide um, that you mentioned, Amy, I think it's page 14, uh, we have 10 questions that we list out to ask your supplier. And this can be done like at any stage, but we really recommend doing it when you have, you know, 10, 15 different suppliers you're talking to. And, uh, you know, you're, they're all trying to sell you, hey, use us, use us, you know, we'll be the best supplier for your order. That's when they're going to give you the most information. That's when they're going to really try to upsell you. And that's the best time to ask these questions. But basically, you can ask your supplier, you know, what do you have as far as quality management processes? What do you have as quality control processes? Do you have an R&D lab? And, uh, you know, do you have tests that you do on your products during the production process? Things like that. And uh, when you figure that out and you ask 10, 15 different suppliers, you know, some suppliers are going to give you pretty you know, BS answers, you're not going to get much info from them. Some suppliers will give you really thorough answers. Some suppliers, most of them will give you like one or two points here and there. Basically, you take all this data you get from each of these suppliers from asking these questions, you just combine them into one giant Word document and say, okay, hey, supplier one says do this, supplier two says do this, supplier three says do this, supplier four says do this. I like all of these, let's do all four. And uh, then you end up with a really, really good uh, testing document. And uh, third of all is, you know, talk to your QC inspection company, of course. So like, for example, at Mavly, we aggregate data across all of our clients. So when one client has an issue or adds a test to their process that we like a lot, uh, we add that to our central database. And then we improve recommendations automatically over time. So every time you do an inspection, especially that first one, uh, we'll give you recommendations and testing advice based on aggregated data we get from all of our other clients who you know, also ask these questions to their suppliers and whatnot. Uh, but every product has unique characteristics. Uh, so you do want to ask those questions to your suppliers and really dive deep into what that looks like for your individual product. Got it. So what you're wanting to do in a nutshell is make sure that you get as much information from your supplier as possible. You look at competitor products and you work with your inspection company who might also have, like Mobley does, um, 
might also have data on other products that they've inspected and they can give you a really good baseline to, um, to build from. And then exactly. specifics that you really, really care about, you wanna make those your kind of your critical defects and communicate those with your inspection company. Um, so let's talk about reporting. I think this is the most confusing part. Um, I always tell the folks in my program because we use really great inspection companies like Mobley. So, um, you know, I always tell them to make sure that they are uh, number one, expecting to fail because you know every single one of my inspections has failed um, and it's usually because we've done a good job of identifying what you know needs to be inspected all of that but um but it's not necessarily a failed inspection is not necessarily a bad thing i look at a failed inspection as an opportunity to communicate with my supplier and improve as well as identify the things that need fixing and need updating in my spec documents so if I have a failed inspection, if I have some kind of problem, it's often there are things that I can accept, like, oh, okay, you know, these strings, for example, uh, strings that needed to be trimmed off a product um, to my inspection company, they said, yeah, that's for this type of product, that's kind of unacceptable. Um, it, it needs to be fixed across all of your products, but that's an easy fix. I can go back to my supplier and say, hey, let's trim these edges, right? Let's make this look a little bit better. And oh, by the way, let's add that to our spec document so that when we go back into production, we are making sure that we're checking that on every single piece, right? So as far as um, when we're reading reports and if we fail an inspection, uh, if our products fail an inspection, what advice do you have for, um, for sellers as far as dealing with that with their supplier, talking with their inspection company, looking at the reports and just kind of overall? Yeah, that makes uh, it's a pretty loaded question. So yeah, when it comes down to failed inspections, I think the first thing is don't be scared of them. Uh, so a lot of people I feel are scared of failed inspections, like, hey, we got a failed inspection, like, what are we going to do? And um, I would also say, you know, don't be, I don't, I would say be scared of a past inspection, <laughs> more so, uh, kind of what you're saying there as well. But uh, when it comes down to the overall process as well, uh, you know, if your inspection company gives you a pass, that doesn't necessarily mean your inspection passed. Uh, because your inspection company will use like a standard protocol in terms of what's the acceptable quality limits, how to rank quality defects, things like that. But uh, if you work with a good inspections company like Mobley, for example, we have all those details in the report for you. Uh, so in the report, we'll give you information like, okay, hey, these are the defects we found. Here's a picture of the defect. This is our rating of the defect, critical, major, minor, whatever. And, um, you know, maybe the inspector thought this defect was major and you think it's a critical defect, which in turn fails the inspection. So at the end of the day, the final quality control pass or fail is really up to you. It's not up to the inspection company. So I think that's really important to emphasize. So, you know, theoretically, you know, if your quality control standards are very high, you know, the inspection can pass every single time and you still say, hey, it's a fail. And, um, you know, if your supplier says, hey, but the inspection company passed it, it's not their right because the inspection company works for you. It's the, they're not a uh, independent, you know, the process and the way they inspect the number of units they inspect, that's all dependent on what you want, not what they want. Uh, so I think that's very, very important to stress uh, because, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, my supplier said, well, the inspection passed. So like, I don't have anything. No, you, you can fail the inspection. It's your inspection. It's not their inspection. So that's the first thing. Uh, second thing is when those inspections fail, 
look and dig deep into the reports. Take a look at the defects, take a look at the data collected, the raw data, the photos. Uh, like with Mavli, we also include videos. Make sure the tests were done right. Make sure the tests were done correctly. Everything was interpreted properly. Look at the data, look at the hard results and say, okay, hey, you know, is everything classified properly? Is everything according to my standards? That's a great place to start. And then third, once you have all that and you've checked everything and you know everything looks good, at that point, then you want to decide, okay, hey, okay, this inspection failed. I want to get these problems fixed. <coughs> Excuse me. Don't die. Of, uh, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully I don't die midway. But yeah. Awesome. So the next so thing you, you were wanna... saying that, um, that we want, you want to have the, the problems fixed from the inspection. And you brought up a really good point that pass or fail, we business owners are responsible for going through those reports and determining what's the best for us. Right. So I, I love that. Like, don't just say, Oh, well it passed. Good. I'm not even going to look at the report, which I'm sure a lot of people do that. They just go, okay, good. Phew, it's passed, but they don't look at the report and the report might have something that was bad that they would consider very critical. And now their products are being shipped out and they didn't get a chance to identify that with their supplier. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, just on a legal standpoint, uh, so like we're a U.S. based company, so you can always sue us. But there's a reason that, you know, customers and business owners can't sue inspection companies for directly because of their product quality, uh, because a lot of times what ends up happening is that one of the reasons that reports are very detailed is because it's a liability perspective. The inspection company doesn't want to be liable if the inspector misinterpreted something or something happened. Right. So that's why they give you as much detail as possible so you can see how the inspection was done. And um, so, you know, that's one of the big reasons there. So just a little bit of kind of some context, uh, but yeah, that's extremely important. So then, you know, once that inspection fails, the next thing you want to do is just work with your supplier, tell them, Hey, you know, we're not happy with the inspection results. You don't have to tell them, you know, the inspection report passed, but we failed it. No, we're just not happy with the inspection results. Uh, a good inspection company for the most part, is not going to share the report with your supplier. Like for example, in Mavli, we don't send those reports to your suppliers. Your suppliers never get your, your reports. They might get some details of the factory. Okay, hey, you know, this is number of units that passed or failed, whatever, because we set them aside or whatever. But at the end of the day, what's in that report, the photos, the videos, they don't see that. You see that. And uh, so you can just tell your factory, hey, you know, we're not happy with the results. And um, these are the problems we're seeing. These are the problems we need fixed. And what a lot of people do is they make the mistake of doing 100% inspection. They're like, hey, we need to test all the units. If we don't test all the units, how are we going to know which units are bad, which units are good? Mm. And that's not really the purpose. The purpose of an inspection is not to check all the units. That's your factory's job. Purpose of an inspection is a random sample. Then you can determine, does this random sample reflect the quality of the entire shipment? And that, if that random sample fails, in this case, then you tell the factory, hey, you need to open up all the units, check everything, and fix them because these problems that we're seeing in this random sample are probably what we're going to see in the rest of the production order. So fix all these problems, get everything fixed, and then you want to do what's called a reinspection. So with 100% inspection, you might end up spending, say, uh, you know, four man days for an inspection, just an example. But doing two separate inspections, you know, you'll save a lot of money if it doesn't fail. And if it does fail, you'll end up spending probably the same, if not less, a lot less than doing 100% inspection even one time. So it makes a, a huge difference. And you know, if you do 100% inspection, it fails. You still have to do 100% inspection or another reinspection, regardless, uh, on a sample size. Uh, but then at that point, you want to do a reinspection, and then you want to 
verify through another random sampling, essentially, did the inspector, uh, you know, did what did the factory truly fix those problems? And you want to go through the sample size randomly again, get the inspection report, go through the same process. And then once you're happy with the results, it keeps going on and on and on, hopefully not, but it can. And uh, at the end of it, when you're happy with the results, that's when you go ahead and ship that product uh, to your warehouse or your freight forwarder. Got it. Okay. Well, those are really, really great tips. I think people understand from today's session why they should get an inspection, why they should choose a trusted inspection provider, you know, what is, what makes a trusted inspection provider and, um, and what they should care about and how they should handle a failed inspection. So awesome. Uh, I just want to shift before we wrap up today, I want to shift to, um, to you and being a business owner, because ultimately we're all business owners and we all struggle and we have to overcome things. So what would you say is the toughest barrier that you've had to overcome as a business owner and how did you overcome it? That's a really good question. So, so just a little bit of like quick background, right? So Mavli gives you a full service quality control team for the cost of an inspection, but giving a full service quality control team uh, that understands inspections is not easy. Uh, so inspections is a very difficult field. And uh, I would say the toughest barrier that we've had um, as a business owner, um, you know, aside, you know, aside from my e-com brand, I would say in Mavli uh, is actually um, hiring employees, good employees, keeping them on staff and then training them effectively. And uh, that's something that, you know, really, really makes, makes or breaks a company. Uh, so, you know, for example, with our inspection volumes, we've been scaling like crazy over the last couple of months, uh, two years, three years, and, um, you know, making sure that we're able to scale and do it effectively while still providing a very high level of service uh, is really, really critical. Now, this is more of a service business, so it's a little bit different uh, than like an e-com business, but the same principles apply. And um, what I learned is kind of two key things when it comes to building a business. Number one is feedback loops. And number two is process. Uh, so, and process that, um, that looks at the why. So a lot of people, so I'll start with process. So I should have switched those around. But uh, when it comes down to process, a lot of people focus their process on, okay, hey, this is what you need to do. This is why you do an SOP. This is how you do the SOP. And then they complain, hey, you know, my employees, uh, they don't really take initiative. They just kind of go, you know, along the flow. If something happens, they're not able to deal with it. And, um, you know, even though they have the tools, they're equipped to do it, you know, they're not able to deal with it. And the reason for that is the employees don't understand the why. And I think that's a big part that's lacking in a lot of processes that, you know, is taught by, you know, e-commerce uh, business owners and things like that in the community. There needs to be a why in the process. Why do we do this on Amazon? Why do we submit this? Why do we do it this way? What does, you know, this have impact on sales? You know, what, what not? If the, if you explain the why to your employees and they understand why the process is built the way it is, it makes a huge difference because now they're able to go in and out of the process and improve the process over time. So now you've turned that employee from um, kind of a drone into more of a, you know, active management level person. Uh, so I think that's number one, really key. Number two is feedback loops. And this is something that can even be applied in e-com. So for example, with Mavli, uh, we have feedback loops at every end of the spectrum. We have feedback loops going to customers um, in the inspection process. Uh, if they didn't complete an inspection, we send them a survey. If they complete an inspection, we send them a survey. Um, if we uh, worked with the factory, we send them a survey. Um, those don't end up in, a, in the best. <laughs> we don't get the best ratings on those factory surveys. Uh, but 
Um, fortunately, we get really good ratings on our customer MPS surveys, but we have feedback loops engineered into every element of the process. So we're recycling feedback from everywhere and look, looking for blind spots. And that's the same thing with e-commerce. So you know, when you're doing returns, when you have warranty claims, talking with those customers, associating with them, understanding what problems they're having, and then tracking that into like one central database, one central tool, something like that, that'll tell you, hey, this SKU is starting to perform really badly. Hey, this SKU is performing really well, you know, things like that. And recycling that feedback into your inspection process, into your suppliers, things like that. Having feedback loops is really, really critical. And uh, that helps you scale without being paranoid that, hey, you know, we're missing something out here, we're missing something here. So I would say process and feedback loops is probably the biggest two obstacles we've uh, overcome. Um, or, or, and the barrier, uh, the barrier is, um, you know, having effective, an effective team structure. And uh, the, the way we've overcome it with, is uh, with process and feedback loops. I love that. That's amazing. Yeah, I think we can't we can't have enough of either of those. And your employees understanding their why is so important because they then can feel accomplished at the end of the day. If they know why they did something, they feel accomplished, and that is so important. You know, I want my people to come to work and be like, "Yes, I did something today, and this is the impact that I had." That helps fulfill people. So that's so awesome. Um, my last question for you is what, well, and before you, after that, we got to let everybody know how they can contact you. But before that, um, what books and motivation, motivation material, podcasts, stuff like that, are you listening to? What's keeping you motivated right now? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, so in terms of general motivation, uh, just Mobley has been growing super, super fast. Uh, so that's been very, very exciting for me. It's always uh, a new challenge and uh, some new cool things to work on. So I, I guess that's kind of been my biggest motivating factor. Uh, but as far as like books, uh, books, one of the books that I like the most is actually the E-Myth. Uh, so I used to be a huge Minecraft player, just to provide a little bit of context. Uh, so my mind really works. It likes building blocks and it likes to build things and build things long-term. Uh, so I like to look at things in, in the real world, almost like building blocks. So structures, processes, things like that, even though I'm not really a numbers or process guy, like I, I don't want to write my own process, but I know we need process. Uh, so the e-myth was super, super helpful for me uh, because it ex essentially explained to me how the building blocks of business works. And uh, before then I was kind of just looking at it kind of like a giant plasma, you know, just kind of like a giant, like everything's all over the place. But the e-myth was super helpful. One of the best books I've ever read. And it basically told me what the building blocks look like in the company. So then I could start making sense of it and start building up a company from that. Uh, so I'd highly, highly recommend reading that. Um, as far as other things, podcasts, Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan always keeps me entertained. Um, aside from that, uh, um, you know, just books here and there. Uh, but those are the main two, I'd say, that, that keep me going. I love The E-Myth. I thought it was such a great book. I just finished it um, just recently. And I... I talked about it for weeks because it just was so good. And then right now I'm reading Business Made Simple by Don Miller. And it's so good because he's, you know, the, the author of story brands and stuff like that. And I'm really big into copywriting and sales copy and stuff like that. And um, so Business Made Simple is really good too. He like describes a business like an airplane and he talks about, you know, your staff and your people being the body and your products and your marketing being the wings and how you keep all those things in balance. And so um, yeah, that was a, a really good book lately too, that was just as impactful for me as the e-myth. So uh, I love that, love that, um, that you love that book. All right, 
Thank you, Sajag. Tell everyone where they can find you and how they can get an amazing inspection or really a whole quality control team on the ground in China for the price of an inspection. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> so my voice allows me to talk, <laughs> but uh, you can find us at movly.com. Uh, so M-O-V-L-E-Y.com. And um, if you're looking to book a call with me and you just want to talk about inspections or have questions, uh, want advice, feedback, uh, just go through the form and uh, we'll, we have a link where you can book a time directly on my calendar and uh, I can answer your inspection related questions. Uh, but it was really a pleasure uh, to be on. Thank you so much, Amy, for having me on. I hope everybody listening found this super, super valuable. And um, yeah, if there's any questions, anything like that, just let me know. And also feel free to email us at any time if you guys have questions in regards to inspections, things like that, whether you work with us or not, just like to be help when we can. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you everyone for listening today. Uh, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. We love hearing from you guys. Thanks for being here. And those of you here in the Zoom with us, we will take your questions now. And I'm going to end the live. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in live. And we'll see you next time on the Seller Roundtable. Thanks for tuning in. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for live Q&A and bonus content after the recording at sellerroundtable.com. Sponsored by the ultimate software tool for Amazon sales and growth, SellerSEO.com and AmazingAtHome.com.